Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Or should I say, without the news. Last night, after going off air, filing cabinet N began to emit a crackling sound, and the smell of peppermint cabbage filled the studio. I couldn't contain myself. I ripped open the drawer, and what was once the news is now a pile of immolated, paperous remains. I was so distracted by what was inside the drawer, I only noticed the true horror later. The front of the drawer bulged in seemingly random areas, as though buckshot was fired from inside. There were black smudges observed inside each dent. It was the letters. The letters have escaped. Read carefully. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What's up, Constant Readers? And today we are back with From a Buick 8, where we are finishing out the book and Josh is leading our discussion. Yes. All right. Let's do a quick recap because there is a lot to discuss Mm -hmm. in this last part of From a Buick 8. Ned Wilcox, the orphan son of Troop D, but mostly son of noted carboy and dissection expert Kurt Wilcox. After Kurt's death, Ned has discovered a thing that looks like a Buick but gives birth to monsters and defies explanation inside Shed B. The troopers led by Sandy Dearborn are in the midst of telling Ned about his father, but Ned has decided he's more interested in the car's part of the story than his dad's part of the story. Were you trying to Feel make accurate? a pun with car part? No. Oh, you, you like hesitated <laughs> over it? I thought you were... <laughs> I thought you were doing a thing. That was uh, the snazziest. That's something you would have done. I know actually. that was the snazziest recap I think Thank you've you. ever had. Yeah, that's wow. pretty good. You. I, I realized that the last one was so meandery because the story is kind of hard to <laughs> yeah narrow down the points that you should care about. It, it's it's too bad that you very clearly put a lot of thought into that recap. So much when we could have recapped it by just reading on. Um, <laughs> I, I I was thinking something very similar. Actually, things yeah. pop out of the car. They react. I, I'm so glad it wasn't just me. No, because this book is the same scene happening over and over again. It's I I it got me last episode, mm-hmm. and then this the this section it lost me a little mm-hmm. did it get me back stay mm-hmm. tuned we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> but it was while writing this intro that it occurred to me what could be part of sandy's anger at ned mm-hmm. and it's that we've gotten some very cool cop stories insinuated about kurt like the shootout with the oday brothers that is mentioned mm-hmm. and then left aside and if this was really about kurt ned would be asking those he'd be wanting that story and more mm-hmm. of that but instead he's laser focused on what is what could be considered kurt's greatest failure the buick and i wonder if that is something that's why he keeps going back to that imagine like re-envisioning the horrific way that kurt died and the frustration with ned i don't know if that's anything what do you guys think i honestly have trouble with any character's motivation in this book it, not a single character's motivation fully makes sense to me. Beyond 
the, the motivation for specifically the sheriff, uh, the sergeant, Sandy. what makes more sense to me than like anything as to why he's bothering telling this at all is just, of course, you need to talk about it, right? Like something this big that you have to keep secret. It makes the most sense that he's just like, oh, finally, this is a good enough reason to tell a new person this story. Yeah. This whole story feels like a a little bit of a trauma dump. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. I don't think anybody's doing anything necessarily out of their own free will when it comes to sharing this story. I think the Buick is pulling it out of Sandy using its influence to do that and I think more of the power of how it's doing that is using its its influence over Ned to get that story out of Sandy. That's and- a really good theory <laughs> that I had not considered. <laughs> That's interesting because I, I also hadn't considered it, but mostly because even once the car starts literally talking, um, (laughs) I I saw this influence that the car had over people as Mm -hmm. purely metaphorical, I guess. Yeah, Purely cycle. It's just, it's not a real, I don't think that this car sitting in a garage actually has any power over anything. I think it's, it's just a crazy thing that once it gets in your head, of course you can't stop thinking about it. Of course, you're kind of, your brain is always drawn back to it because it's this huge, unknowable thing. Ben, are you trying to say that something about the Buick is ill-defined and unclear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, almost it's, like a, it's the point of the book. <laughs> it's funny how we keep thinking about it. It honestly, like, that it, it kind of is a little bit annoying, right? Because we know that there's no answers, but like at the same time, we are doing the same thing of like, yeah, that is neat. Which oh is my. the exact okay. same. What? That's the same trap we fell into with Pet Cemetery, which is why I think I actually did pick up on the cues that this thing does have influence. It is making these things happen, even though they don't know it, because that's what. I don't know. It's just I saw those parallels. And I I think that's why I was assuming Sandy because he even says like I'm mad at him later. He's like I'm mad at him because I'm scared for him. And the very first thought I had while reading this in the very first episode was why? Why are you doing this to this kid? We this all is did. this is so dangerous. And then even later things happen. Like somebody has such a like well whatever reaction to Ned being in proximity when he shouldn't be. And it's like nobody has the right response to this. And that's what I think is the Buick making that happen. We just don't get definitively how powerful and how much control it has until that final scene. Yeah. Like it's it, it can just alter perception in a way uh, like or not mm. perception um instinct yeah like it, it draws like you don't people trust your to instinct it it, the, it yeah. puts ideas mm-hmm. in their head it's it's creating that desire to share it honestly to draw more people in when we have to wait till the very end to get to it but kurt's theory i think is pretty fucking solid mm-hmm. all right let's uh let's get back to the story uh we're at the the summer of 1988 which we found out in previous sections that that 88 was the big year. Something mm. major happened over the years. He recaps that they tested more video cameras, audio recorders, animals and animal parts, all leading to the same inconclusive stuff. Kind of what Ben said at the top of the show. More things the same. 
There is one thing I want to point out. They bring up Edith again, that she's still talking to the press about the disappearance. Mm-hmm. And uh, they mention that in the paper that they like the last straw is that she's being she's resorting to this kind of paper. And mm-hmm. the paper mentions reports on things like Bigfoot, but also cancer in the water supply, which Dreamcatcher was released a year before this book came out. Uh. <laughs> I thought that was, a, I hope that was an on purpose nod because I thought that was awesome. Hmm. I did not catch that. Uh, we have three more occasions of things popping out of the trunk. We have beetles, a, a, a stick bug, a, a plant. <laughs> Any of those things you guys want to talk about that you thought were particularly interesting? I thought the stick bug was cool just because I find stick bugs interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they're pests. <laughs> no, they're just really? so cool. Yeah, they look so cool. I would have one. See, that's where I would be in trouble. I'd be like, oh, guys, it finally spit out something I want. <laughs> and I would be running into the shed. <laughs> it had so many eyes, though. Yeah, it had a, a, too many. Like, you get you get one thing, Okay. You popped out of a Buick. You're from a different planet. Like that. That's already two things. You can't have all the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that's just being eye greedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I really liked the plant. Yeah, that was cool too. Because it's the first non-living thing well, or non-creature. Oh yeah, leaves. It's the first big piece of material that's not an animal. Well, and I a guess, plant, plant uh, seems like not a, an animal, but also still living in a way. This is so stupid that leaves yeah. don't seem because the plant is a whole thing. A leaf right. is part of a bigger plant. And there's still some like <laughs> soil attached to it. It's fully yeah. uprooted in this. Thing. What they did with the soil. <laughs> that part uh, I so really cool. liked. Yeah. That they mention at one point, I think this is later, that the they mentioned that one time after everything else, uh, the Buick just filled its trunk up with dirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we just left it there because it's dirt. Who cares? Until it started to smell. Because you don't think dirt's going to rot. <laughs> this did. And so then they went out and buried it. So which is great. extremely funny. <laughs> then they had to dig another hole for the dirt they dug out of that first also, hole. Also, a really fucking terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, right? It's Put it like in the ecosystem. No, exactly. <laughs> Who knows what's in this shit? I know, I'm, I'm instantly just it's so horrified. So, it's such a... I'm yeah. burying any of this shit. Uh, burn I mean, it. Burn, burn the it, dirt. I guess, is better. <laughs> That's still putting who knows what multidimensional chemicals put, in the air, but put what it else up in, or do? just bag it up like they have everything else. Yeah. Like, really? You like that's too much to bag up. What about the giant sofa fish? <laughs> yeah, and before if you ask, um, maybe they did bag it up. No, because Kurt specifically says he watched that patch of grad, ground to see if anything would grow there. Yeah. And like things tried to grow, but never, yeah. never survived. And so I wondered, they didn't really describe what tried to grow was what was coming out of the dirt native to wherever the Buick's pulling it from, or was it native just to grass. here and it just couldn't yeah. grow in that dirt? I. Could we'll be never either. know. Who knows? <laughs> Sorry, I'm so upset. <laughs> it's, this that, book really got to you, uh, CM. No, it's it's something you said a few minutes ago, Josh. That it fucked me up too because I hadn't <laughs> thought about it. Is you alluded that we're doing what Ned was doing. <laughs> 
<laughs> that we're trying to find. We're, we're the whole point of this podcast is us to discuss this goddamn book that we're supposed to just be like, nah, it's just crazy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and that that kind of got to me too. I'm like, oh, why we're wasting our time here, Stephen King? Oh, we're having crisis. We're spiraling, guys. <laughs> is this our midlife crisis as a podcast? Uh, no, it's, it's just what happens when you get a book without a plot. Is this, <laughs> this podcast is our Micmac burial ground. It our is. <laughs> you know what? Speaking of the Micmac burial ground and pet cemetery, it is during this plant in the trunk that one thing that I thought was super adorable, Kurt has upgraded his safety protocol stuff, but it's all mismatched and kind of whatever. And they're filming it. And one of the guys calls out to him about like looking sexy. And that was his cute. Outfit. And they mentioned later that weeks after Kurt's accident, yeah. they'd gather and they'd watch that and like laugh and cry at how silly he looked. I thought that was a super, like, a nice reconnection it, to the, characters. the reality and the characters. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Can I, not to undermine that, that moment, but I had a thought before you shared that. Okay, th this is why it's a good thing I'm not Kurt. Or a scientist with any power. What if you fed that plant to someone? Oh my god. <laughs> CM. <laughs> oh. Wow, that's so unethical. They, they, I'm, on <laughs> I'm on board. I'm on board. I don't know any vegetarians. Wait, Josh, do you think yeah. only vegetarians <laughs> eat plants? Yes. We need to you need to see a doctor. <laughs> I work at a hospital. I see them every day. You need to talk to a dietitian, my friend. Uh, I've also fish. never been to a dentist, but I still have teeth. Oh my god. <laughs> oh boy. The point of this <laughs> is that when Kurt is looking in the trunk and looking at everything, he calls Sandy over to look at it, and Sandy has a a Lewis Creed moment of uh, of the deadfall of man going over and looking in that trunk would be a stupid fucking idea. I'm already at the trunk. Yes. So this, this was this was Eddie, right? Who did this? No, Sandy. Sandy. Sandy okay. was yeah. the one who went up. Who, to, who has been, you know, described as probably being one of the least influenced individuals mm -hmm. when it comes to the Buick. So it was really it was a really cool moment, like building up to this ending to see that it does also affect him. But the most important thing about the plant that I'm so fucking jazzed about mm -hmm. is that when he looks at it, it visually hurts him. It <laughs> it is the how would it the equiv the visual equivalent to nails on a chalkboard, and my brain cannot fathom. No, and I I love things my brain cannot fathom. See, <laughs> this is one problem. I. Listen, I love Lovecrafty shit as much as the next guy. It rules. But this is a problem I have with any Lovecraftian horror is that I don't believe that the human brain works that way. Oh, I'm going to believe it. It's so <laughs> it's so juicy. <laughs> Except I know for a fact there there is an image that went around I probably a few years ago, but there's an image that it is a picture of a room, question mark. Um, and it is labeled, like, name a, sim a single object in this image. And you can't do it. It is, it is a table, question mark, full of things. There are things on it. You can look at them. But not a single thing in the image is a recognizable anything. It is one of the strangest feelings in the world to look at this picture. And I need you to amazing. find it. Yeah. I need you to yeah, find I, it. I, I, if, if I will look for it and I will, we will post it on Perfect. social media. Awesome. 
but it, it's it's really unnerving to look at because it's obviously a computer generated image of mm-hmm. some sort mm-hmm. and it looks so on the edge of familiar mm-hmm. that your brain tries to interpret it and it can't and i've seen this image and i'm not in an asylum. (laughs) It did not fundamentally break my brain. However, you did not see it in real life. I I guess. That's true. But like... I think that's where the... Sure. You can comprehend that this is a flat digital image made by an AI. You couldn't comprehend opening your door. You have the out of being like, this is on a screen. This isn't something I'm looking at. I guess, I, I just feel like, especially in the modern age where we have so much visual effects Mm -hmm. and stories and movies and we have the very idea of Lovecraftian horror. Yeah. I think if I walked into a room and saw the pink thing (laughs) at the end, I would be like, oh, fuck, and be really scared. But I don't think it would fundamentally, like... I, I don't think it would do physical damage. I, I don't know. Could <laughs> you, do you, I mean, based on how you described that scenario, do you think you could force yourself to continue looking at something like that? That is so horrifying oh. you felt the Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm a coward. No, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, you're si- by turning away, you save your brain from ever achieving that pain where maybe it's theoretically possible to look at something and not be able to comprehend or uh, what is the incomprehensible whiteness of the flower. I think it's the stress it puts on your system that affects your brain. Yeah. The dust yeah, damage. I, it's possible. I but I'm kind of with Ben. I, and when I, at Man, my core, I'm a coward. I'll there's, run so fast. Yeah, absolutely. I have a problem. There's a, a <laughs> thousand percent chance that I'm just being like one of those douchebags. It's like, I could fight a gorilla if I really needed to. <laughs> no, you can't. Idiot. Uh, ben, the, in this section, there's also some evidence for what you posited last episode about the Buick being death. And mm-hmm. it is the white spots start to appear on the flower. They watch it instead of decaying kind of like everything else has. This almost burns away, which I thought was very cool that it's distinctly different in what it does. And the smell coming from it reminds Sandy of his mother's breath, who's dying of mm-hmm. cancer. Ben, mm-hmm. you nailed it. Yeah, no, it's it's. uh thought it was pretty awesome (laughs) (laughs) oh man uh now we are we're going to get to the big thing we're finally getting to the story Shirley has taken over and we find out at the very top of this that she barely slept for six months after lost 25 pounds as a result of the experience so fucking strap in let's do this thing yeah but i do like that she marks the day by getting flowers. Uh, what did you guys think of that story of her get why she gets flowers? Uh, the so she gets flowers because these two jackasses are horsing <laughs> around in the kitchen area while she is trying to pour herself a fresh cup of hot coffee in her blouse and a brand new skirt that she got from JC Penny cost her a pretty penny. She also had to hem it herself to just kind of change some things. It just it was a big deal to her and it was her very first day wearing it. And 
they accidentally bump into her and spill coffee on her skirt, ruining it. And the thing that I was like, oh my God, is the, the because I read it and listened to it when I was listening to it, the woman who's reading her part, it, she's a very interesting way of reading it. But when she's yelling at them about like being galoots, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I don't like that. It was very strange. So they're all like, shucks, all oh, we're sorry. And she is pissed. She's like, I don't want your sorry. Get out of my sight before I knock your heads together like coconuts. And later, like they do genuinely feel bad. Oh, and I want to point out, because I always do this when King objectifies women, so I want to be fair. One <laughs> of them's pretty hot. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, yes. and she's like, mm, you know, he's looking at me like he knows he's cute, and I should forgive him, and I kind of want to, because he is really cute, but new skirt. <laughs> so, later that day, they come to her all humble and they have picked wild flowers and they've put them in a vase and not only that th this was significant they also bring her a gift certificate to jc penny not just for the cost of the skirt because she tells them what's up but also extra for pain and suffering yeah and the, her time for having to hem it and it's very it's very yeah, thoughtful it is and it's like the one good thing that happened to her that day because I think she's she's going to put water in the flowers and she doesn't even finish that task mm. before just all hell breaks loose and in so many different levels and yeah. places. What what were the two cops that did this? It's not our main guys. It's no. one one of them isn't Brian, there anymore. Brian Brian, yes. Is is one of them Eddie? No. No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because Eddie is out during yeah. this right. he's on a call. Now it's time for the call that changes everything. A $29.99. 29 mm -hmm. meaning general response required. 99 is catastrophe. A chemical tanker truck has collided with a school bus and it's on fire. Sounds like a catastrophe to me. What yeah. makes it worse is that it's nearby the school and the wind is blowing in the direction of the school. So the fire and fumes are headed towards the school, which, guys, it's summer. School's out. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, no big deal. Wait, <laughs> it's craft day. So there's a bunch of kids who are there making crafts. And there is uh, a lone officer out there who calls it in. I kind of love this bit because mm -hmm. you think, because they make this huge deal. They, we know that something terrible happens on this mm -hmm. day. And this is like set up yeah. to be such a like king set piece mm -hmm. where, oh, what's going to happen here? And then it becomes... A totally irrelevant. <laughs> it's because like the this least one upsetting cop, thing that yeah, happens. <laughs> this, this one cop that's available just single-handedly takes care of everything <laughs> and is just like a random super cop for a few seconds. And then yeah. they're like, yeah, you took care of it. Everything's fine. It's also very confusing because there's two Georges. Mm. So one of the Georges is here and he's the one, he's the hero cop at yeah. the end of the day. But when this call comes in, like we do find out later that the fumes were non-toxic and all yeah, that like stuff. Yeah, chlorine mixed with yeah. gasoline and that's, yeah, that, but he didn't, I, I liked though that they did stop to point out when Tony sent him in, he's like, just save those kids, put them, have them hang off your car mm -hmm. if you need to, just make room. He was sending him possibly to his death because they thought maybe it was not lethal, but they weren't sure. Yeah. And he willingly did it. And I think the only fatality was the bus driver who was in the burning bus, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like dead mm -hmm. on impact. Yeah. So 
Tony gives that order and has Shirley call all available units. Everybody's going to this crash site. And the only people at the station are Shirley, Huddy, and Mr. Dillon. And uh, Eddie and George don't make it to the fire because they are on a call. Uh, This is the George that we've talked about a little bit throughout that eventually Mm -hmm. kills himself because he ran over a lady. And the reason that they didn't make it is because they were delivering a prisoner uh, who wants to describe the arrest of Brian Lippy, the uh, Pennsylvania Henry Bowers. Uh, is he as bad as the fucker who pulls him yeah, over? Yeah, <laughs> we, we have to talk about fucking <laughs> Officer let's, Eddie here. Let's talk about Listeners, Eddie Jackaboy. strap in. Ben and I are going to tear shit up. You know it. You yeah, know we are. I'm fucking yeah, we ready. have to. Earlier when, like, the, the scene with Shirley and the guys that replace her skirt, I, I thought that was Eddie in that scene because they were trying to like humanize him humanize him <laughs> because he is a fucking monster. He's got some thoughts. Oh boy. He he pulls over this this guy because he's driving his truck with one hand and beating his girlfriend with the other. And from the second this guy who is narrating at the time, this mm-hmm. is the character we're supposed to think fairly positively of? Question mark? Uh, well, I don't know. And that's where I get lost because just because king wrote him like that does that mean that's, king's like and yeah this is okay or is he just giving us this see, other that's the thing <laughs> it's the only reason i will give this not a pass but like i i get i i near god it, how do it, i even say okay it perpetuates a dangerous perspective of mm-hmm. Domestic violence yes. that uh, it, it's it's careless and reckless to do something that perpetuates that because there is no like a moment of and that was a shitty thing to think yeah. for people who may be reading this and may not be as thoughtful and critically thinking yeah. about the situation. And, and for the record, what he what we're talking about is this cop sees this guy beating his girlfriend and immediately blames it on the woman. That this woman wants it and it's it's what she deserves because she won't. Uh, it, it's, it's he thinks about how much he wants to hit her. Yeah. It's, it's that's wild. That, takes, is, that took a turn. Like you you described it very clearly just now but the the strong language and disdain that the character has yeah. is, right is severe like it is a really rough i was listening to it and i had to stop and i was it just like what in the fuck some real fucking incel men's rights bullshit mm-hmm. it sucks and the only reason I near that, that I'm not like going after Stephen King being like, what in the entire fuck are you doing putting this in your book is that he does put it in the mouth of a cop and a cop <laughs> that hates women. That's just a realistically written character. It still fucking sucks. I hate it. And mm-hmm. I believe later on in the book that the sergeant kind of parrots some of these thoughts. Yes, because making me I think thought- it is. Not entirely outside of the author's purview. Like, like it's a viewpoint that was more accepted back in the day, like more openly accepted, I should say, because it is still accepted, but people aren't as open about it. And Sandy having a similar unkind thoughts about her and how her life ended up mm. sort of reflects what Eddie was thinking. It's just hard. But what Basically, what we're talking about is this guy, Brian Lippy. he gets put in the squad car because he is Lippy. <laughs> nice. And 
Eddie goes up to the girlfriend and, and he's trying to be nice at first and she's just really badly beaten up. She's got a bloody face. And he's he walks up to her already knowing, because even his partner told him, like, do you think she will? And he's like, no. He's like, well, ask anyway. In other words, is she going to press charges? And we know that women in those situations oftentimes don't for a lot of complicated reasons that mm-hmm. we should not judge. And so he tries to talk to her and is just really shitty about it. And she's it doesn't help the situation. And then he gives her a card for a nearby shelter, which I did like. And she's just thinks so little of him, I think, and not the shelter and help that as she drives away, because she refuses to press charges, he sees something flutter out the window and it's the card. And it's like, yeah, maybe if you had talked to her like she was a person who Mm -hmm. deserved your respect and understanding, even if you couldn't fathom why she was still in this situation she would have kept that card yeah it's wildly hateful very hateful yeah it sucks i'm gonna come to the defense of it in a weird way interesting choice but continue so my read on it yes it was also it was very disgusting to have to read those thoughts defense of of, the writing to be clear yes i just don't want want anybody to isolate that (laughs) yeah Fuck, I totally lost my train of thought, sorry. Um, I I was very grossed out by the language and the things like needing to speak her language to make her understand. Yeah, if he hits her, she'll listen. fucked up. What I think it's getting at is it's touching on a different, touching on a different theme of how desensitized to these things that the police get. Because we Mm. get that a lot with the, uh, we get it more with accidents. Yeah. Like they talk about it a lot that when it's the first time it's horrible, when it's the second time it's horrible, and then it just starts becoming part of a job. And so I understand the frustration if we are taking this as, you know, seeing this a hundred times and though you want the woman to make the call so badly, but you know that they won't. And because you're not exercising enough empathy to see Mm. that there's probably a reason or a logic they are trapped in Mm. or whatever the circumstances may be, I could see where at a certain point you take that nihilistic, that, uh, that kind of approach to it, this. That's and I, actually and I think, really interesting. No, I, you are absolutely 100% right. Mm. I felt the exact same way. I, it's clear that's what they're doing. Like, I understand that. The, my complaint about it is purely that mm. there is no, there's no follow up moment to that mm-hmm. to show that that is what happened. Like, we as, sure. we as like loving individuals understand that that's not okay and he is jaded, but it doesn't, make it yeah. right but i th- my my issue is if other the way it's written other people mm-hmm. are are seeing a reflection of how they feel and understanding in their heads that that means they're right if but at the end the- of the book oh sorry if at the end of the book spoiler alert <laughs> when eddie dies mm-hmm. uh he has left the force because he is a drunk and he he falls off the wagon and can't get it together and he dies in a car accident if at the end, while the sergeant is like basically eulogizing him in his head, he had thought, you know, he he fell on hard times. And after, you know, he left the force and got worse, we realized he was a fucking violent misogynist. 
and that sucks, and he's a complex person, and instead of when he dies, he's like, oh, that's too bad. He was a great guy, and he could have got, he should have got it, pulled it together. Or if they had even given her, like, a yeah. a, a more, more autonomy in her ending, because mm-hmm. Sandy's words reflected Eddie's mm-hmm. mindset. And I, I don't even, just anything to show, like, also, like, it's not okay he thought this. Yeah. I guess my, uh, because of the audience to which Eddie is speaking, I think that they, the reason we don't get that is mm-hmm. because they get it. No, like, and it, again, that's right. It's it's just irresponsible writing on King's part because yeah. I, I not all cops are reading no, the book. <laughs> absolutely. I just, I don't know. I'm, no, sure, I'm, I'm sure there's a way. I'm I just, just bitching about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No, it, 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 it would, I feel like it'd be too a weird of a, a, a internal departure to like correct it and then move on. Oh no, on, he's a writer. He could figure out how to gracefully. It's a book argument. It goes anywhere. <laughs> oh, he's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic book argument. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm. You're right, and I understand that. It's my problem is something no, else. I, but, I'm yeah. completely. It's. I agree. With you, yeah. CM. I also probably would have given him a little more leniency if he had connected um, the fact that Brian Lippy, the guy they pull over, is his high school bully. Yes. Tortured him and And made his life a living hell. Making him feel bad even in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then even on the way to the police station, he gets under his skin. When somebody gets under your skin, that's one thing. But then when you think about the person who got under your skin is a Nazi druggie who is high on angel dust and hits his girlfriend. That's the other thing. Hmm. I, I, they, that's another like added layer is they make Eddie have this fucking repulsive mm-hmm. worldview but then because the guy he's going after is a literal nazi you're supposed to be like oh it, it gave me this feeling of like oh you're you're not as bad you as the this moral, guy exactly you're, uh, you're supposed yeah. to root for this guy because mm-hmm. the of course he's uh, having a rough day he's the hero he, in this he's situation. the hero in this yeah. situation because a nazi is calling him fat uh, <laughs> But Classic it, Nazi it, name. It doesn't. Jesus. It, it sucks. Yeah. No, yeah. it sucks. It's yeah. If if any of that, there are. What we're saying is, there's plenty of opportunities that could have dropped a small yeah. amend in yeah, there to yeah, make it to sure. brought it to bring it into view for everybody. Yeah. Uh, from here to the end of this part of the story, we jump from narrator to yeah. narrator. So avoid confusion. Let's just try to go mm. over the events. Big things. Um, and what kicks it off? Mr. Dylan starts barking. Uh, oh, Shirley and Honey <laughs> are inside trying to handle these things and weekly the, dose of dog violence. Yeah, he's barking and his barks are like screams. He's running. He runs full force through the screen door to burst through it. Uh, Huddy and Shirley run out. Eddie and George, meanwhile, are coming back with Brian Lippy in the backseat of their car and nearly hit Mr. Dylan. And they kind of watch him throw his body against the rolling door of the of face Shed B. first face like he bloodies first. his snout god he's mindless trying to get at whatever is in the shed and then they all seem to notice at the same time i don't know did that stick out to you they all happen to notice including mr dylan at the same time that the side door is just open y- yes it stuck out it stuck <sighs> out that it's open and it like they were clear that it's never open and Archie, I think it was, knows that he closed it because Sarge would like have his ass if he ever left it open. Mm-hmm. Like this is such a big deal because it's dangerous. So it's it was opened by a force within the shed. And yes, they all notice at the same time because the Buick wants them to. 
oh, it's so there's so much in here about that influence. It's like I think it's craftily sprinkled yeah. through. We're at the moment. It's been teased almost the entire book. The big thing in 88. Yeah. Does anyone want to take the honors? I mean, you know, this is coming. <laughs> yeah. So obviously the by the second thing that comes out, it's so obvious that it is escalating to this mm-hmm. yeah. that when it happened and it still freaked me out, yeah. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. It's it's a thing. Yeah, it it's is. a humanoid ish yeah. as close as the. Buick can produce. I know. Yeah. It's it, they walk in and in the corner is this tall, thin, wrinkled, yellowed nightmare. It's the first living, breathing thing from away that's mm-hmm. come through. And, and it it's is screaming. Yeah. In their it's heads. Seven foot tall with a <laughs> mess of pink cords where the head would normally be. Hate that. Something mm-hmm. in its chest that was likely a mouth. Thanks. And a <laughs> foot long, fleshy gray trunk with several eyeballs that look like spots. Is that its dick? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <that's> not- <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You know. That's true. There is a uh, a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> monster. <laughs> I believe it's called a Roper oh. that this makes me think of. Yeah, there we go. I mean, it's not exactly the same. A Roper is basically a stalagmite with tentacles and a big mouth <laughs> yeah that kind but of th- that. this kind of gives yeah. me uh, uh look up roper D. yeah it, huh. that's what it Don't made me think just of. look up roper that oh that's <laughs> cuter than what i i'm uh, picturing yes. in the shed Absolutely. yeah it's worse uh it also <laughs> has three leggish things with talons on the end one of those is its stick one of those Boner is talk. its stick the uh, Mr. D snarls at it and bites at it, and it screams and shoots droplets of some kind of acid. I gotta ask, what did you guys think of the way the shrieks come from the inside out of your head? <laughs> did that, like, hit you hard? That is my first favorite part, favorite part to hate <laughs> <laughs> about what's going on with this creature. It's such a cool, because one of them thinks that it's it's screaming but it's something that feels like the scream isn't from the outside entering into your ear canal it is coming from inside and leaving your ears and Shirley puts her hands up to her ears to cover them and he's like don't do that you're gonna your head's gonna explode yeah yeah he thinks so cool. how awful it, it must feel to have this sound trapped in your head yes huh. <sighs> Uh, the thing that really got me, it's its a minor throwaway line, and it's probably nothing, but at one point it, like, stumbles or something, or lunges, and he says, I, I uh, what does he even say? He says something about looking at what he thinks might be a back. Mm-hmm. And how terrible must a thing <laughs> be if you can't <laughs> tell what side is the back of it? that is a very good when you've identified its chest and a mouth thing (laughs) why is the back unidentifiable where's its ass (laughs) (laughs) even the bat thing had a butt exactly (laughs) when shirley is looking at it and she kind of feels its terror like she says something to the effect of it screaming to her sounds like it's pleading for them to call this monstrous thing off. But when she looks at it. Oh, which is Mr. Dylan. Yeah. And when she looks at the creature, all she can think of is I need to destroy it. 
that's my second favorite part yeah. because as can we just breeze through Dylan? Yeah. Uh, as Dylan's going to die. Sorry guys. As Dylan is attacking this creature, trying to protect everybody. He's a good boy. She's sorry, real quick. When he, Mr. Dylan does bite it, it pulls its skin away like paper. Just wanted to throw yep, that imagery out there. Awful. How Extremely loosely upsetting. it's created. Go and on. still so destructive and powerful. Mm-hmm. But the, what I found fascinating was this idea that they understand just instinctively that what they are looking at is a thinking creature. Mm-hmm. And they understand that what it's... Its behavior is defending itself and pleading for its life, and they know that as it sees them, it is as horrified by what it's seeing as they are, mm. and the idea that they know it's it's pleading, but they can't feel any other way except such disgust and horror that they have to destroy it. And then the way they go about destroying mm. it, it's its really a very interesting part of this book. It's probably, for me, like the most interesting section. It, uh, as a Lovecraftian monster story, I love it. Because that idea of us being as monstrous as this thing is a fascinating, you know, idea. It's very, very scary. It's very um, upsetting to think of this thing that we can barely even look at being terrified of us. It's, it's I, yeah. Cool. Do you think it's like what are those things on exactly. the other side of its of their bodies? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> where, where is its ass? Um, uh, why isn't it on the front? Um, <laughs> It's a cool idea. I had, I think this is absolutely an outcome of reading this book in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Is that reading a a chapter of a book that includes a room full of police officers beating someone, something that they are afraid of to death, but it not being about that. <laughs> you know, it's oh, wow. if this book were written today, I think that has some connotations. I don't think it that would, would be written that way. <laughs> not by Stephen King. No, no, I just mean, yeah, it's, um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's not great. Oh, don't do that to me, Ben. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it's something that that's not what this book is about. Right. And, and, uh, but you, you filter things, you filter media through yeah, what's going through on in the moment. And yeah. if we read this Excellent. again 20 years later, who knows? It'll feel different. But uh, it's just, it, it's a thought that I couldn't help but have help but have mm-hmm. and it kind of was distracting I bet yeah yeah see I was frustrated because I'm like if they were scientists which they <laughs> should be then they would have like had some controlled environment where they could try to make contact with this creature. and that would have been a million times made change nothing else about the scene except that these are a bunch of scientists that are supposed to be studying but still when this thing comes out then the scientists the ordered um people that we don't there to find stuff like that exactly the people that uh, people that we do not immediately associate with violence Mm -hmm. um that makes this scene more effective Mm -hmm. mr dylan and the creature fight Huddy has drawn his gun and is about to take a shot, but there's no clear shot. And all of a sudden, Eddie comes by and he has geared up with gloves and a pickaxe. And he moves in and just starts going at this creature. And 
it's funny he he mentions that everything from this point on is like a dream state to him he mm-hmm. can't recall kind of where he was he just his body took over basically and he the voice of the creature in his head he said he just couldn't stand it and it was the the horror of trespass is how it's described later and feeling like if you woke up with a leech on your tongue feeding off uh, you I'm so glad you said that because I I read that and I was like that is that is like the worst thing I've ever <laughs> read in my life. I want to vomit forever. That's the it's that's horrid. the best like most succinct. Just you can you can just picture that like you know exactly yeah. how horrifying this yep. is just through that description. Yeah. You thought having a leech on your balls was bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's shock and sensory overload at this point for pretty much everybody involved. Uh, striking it lets uh, the creature lets Dylan loose and. He severs a piece of the eye slash trunk chunk of this creature. Question mark. And caves in its chest with the pickaxe. And from the crushed inside comes that cotton candy-esque compressed Mm, inside. I hate that. that. Mm -hmm. And then the others join in. And they've all grabbed gloves and they've all grabbed weapons and they beat this thing to death and no matter how crazy they felt the fact that they all put on gloves first yeah is just so pointed poor mr dylan couldn't glove up and then we we kind of talked around this at the very end just before it dies it raises its stump and looks at them and for a moment they see themselves through the creature's eyes how alien and horrifying they are and they feel It's horrible confusion, not fear, very pointedly, not fear, not innocence, not guilt, just pure confusion, Mm. which I feel like is an interesting, uh, gave me the impression of like somehow this creature knows the same thing they do about if rules were reversed, this is what would happen to me. Yes, I I think it alludes to that. And then I think later we get a little bit more of that because is is it around here where is it Sandy who thinks about this in the context of Ennis disappearing? Yes. Did he go over there and encounter a similar situation and did whatever was over there show him the same courtesy they just showed this creature? What did you think of the um, discussion of we just killed something with real intelligence and George immediately saying bullshit, very, mm. the very firm denial right right away? <sighs> I mean, it's I'm glad they acknowledged it because it, it was one of those moments that I, I had to pause reading and just like absorb what happened. And it, I don't know, it's the part of me that is curious about everything and likes you know, like like sci-fi and stuff, mm-hmm. like grieves, opportunities missed, and the the way we would treat something we don't understand and that is new to us, I think says a lot about what people are, what we're made of. It's also that Huddy, you know, he's saying the things about if rules were reversed, this is mm-hmm. how it would be. And I like that he admits that later he realized he has to think that because he has to live with himself when the lights are off. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, uh, I given everything we've discussed, I kind of wish that would come out of Eddie's mouth. I was going to say, yeah. that's how you, that's how you yeah. gracefully show like, yeah, and this is wrong. <laughs> to be fair, 
Did you guys have a hard time telling some of these characters apart? If yeah. you haven't noticed, I have not referred <laughs> well, to a single character by name. But that's because they are cops one through five. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's hard because we're going like back and forth in time yeah. and switching mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a little bit difficult to follow those threads. Yeah. Uh, in all the commotion, they realize, fuck, we forgot about the prisoner in the back of our car. So George and Eddie go back to that. Huddy offers to clean by himself, which obviously oh. makes everybody a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think he Eddie, really offered that? Like, I mean, do you think he offered that of his own free will? No, I don't yeah. think so, because <laughs> the, the way Eddie stops him and said, because it seems so clear to Eddie in that moment of you can't be in here alone it just breathed out, and I can feel that it yes. hasn't breathed in yet. And the temperature still dropped, and the breathing thing fucked me up a bit. Yeah, that because we've never gotten a physical description like right. that, and I'm sure that they've all felt that before. Yeah. Here's the, well, and here that's what I'm wondering is that later we find out that the breathe in mm-hmm. metaphor and breathe out metaphor are quite apt at this time. Eddie doesn't know that mm-hmm. from experience. So that's what made me wonder if it's it's in all their heads right now and Eddie picked up on something maybe mm-hmm. he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing, though. When Huddy's on his way to go get those cleaning supplies, because he's like, don't worry, man, it'll be fine. I'll take care of it. It's, it's all safe. He sees something rolling around in the grass in the distance and just assumes it's Mr. Dillon. Was that Billy? Okay, that threw me off because, spoiler, we find out later Billy was eaten by the car. But because it was like off in the distance, I thought that the the turn of the story was going to be, okay, this is weird. I thought, I don't know why I thought this. I thought that he got away and he was going to start spreading rumors because they've made references to having buried something. And I thought that it was going to be a story about how the thing in the shed is not a monster, but these cops to protect this secret had decided that what they had to do was go out and find this guy and shut him up. And then they killed him and buried that's his body. That's so fucking dark <laughs> and interesting. But that's not what happened. <laughs> no. I, I assume that he, because he was still handcuffed, so he was rolling around trying to get his hands in front of him mm-hmm. under his back and then thought he'd steal the Buick and drive off in it. That's kind of what I thought. Uh, I think the Buick just made him. him. Yeah, called him. Could be. And then sucked him in. Yeah. Huddy goes in uh, and realizes he's walked right past the safety line. He is. What's so crazy is this shed does not sound very big. And the idea that you are like a car door length away from the safety line and you realize, holy shit, I've gone too far is really nerve wracking. (laughs) He he peeks in the trunk, meaning just to shut it. And inside he finds a radio thing. Yeah, a device that when he when he like touches it, an antenna maybe thing pops out. (laughs) And we don't get any more of that. It's just it. They bagged it. It crumbled into dust. It was the creature's cell phone. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it has to be. Like they sent that creature through to see if it could communicate from the other side. And to share its technology. <laughs> yes, it's disintegrating technology. Um, and then this is where we uh, find out Huddy's secret. Who wants to share Huddy's secret and your thoughts is about it? it? That he tried to climb in. Yeah, because he never told anybody that right. until they're telling Ned. 
yeah, he just has this compulsion that he's he's not even thinking. He's going through these motions without thinking about going through the motions. Mm. That he is looking down into the trunk and saying, I'm getting in. I, I, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to climb on in. And something's going to happen. And I know that this is a mistake. And I'm terrified, but I don't seem to be in control of my my faculties. Yeah, right the desire the to follow that urge to give into it is greater than anything else. Yeah, which is Terrifying. very scary. Yeah. And in a way, Mr. Dylan gets to save one last life. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, because Shirley screaming breaks him out of this trance and he runs out. And by the time he gets out there, everybody's gathered. Brian Lippy has kicked out the back window of the squad car and escaped. They know he's not around. And George, Eddie, and Huddy see Mr. Dillon come through the door and surely come out screaming because the poor dog is burning like somebody just fed King Roland dragon sand. I was just gonna, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, George draws his revolver that he will later kill himself with mm. and shoots Mr. Dillon in the head, putting him out of his misery because he had like thrown up his own guts and teeth. So they knew there was just nothing yeah. that could be done. And they... Plan. Their plan is just call Tony and let Tony decide what to do with the rest of this. Yeah, because they can't file a property damage yeah. report for the back window because then they'd have to explain. Or <laughs> announce that a suspect is missing. Yes. But Eddie goes in to cover the car with a tarp and that's when he notices that the trunk is now shut and it's breathed back in. Mm. So we jump back to the present and uh, that's... Where the story ends, Ned doesn't realize that that's the end of the story, but that's that's it. Brian Lippy was never found. It was never reported. Eddie tells Ned that, you know, that that's the last thing. Like there's other anecdotes that's more of the same, but you've heard everything there is now. And I don't know. What, what do you feel how, about Ned's reaction to that? It's I think I asked this last episode. What the fuck was he expecting? Right. <laughs> what they they have been telling him the entire time this doesn't lead anywhere it's just a crazy thing that we have to fucking deal with <laughs> mm -hmm. and he has this like i i i think he says he's like i deserve answers <laughs> and it's like what are you talking about it's an alien goddamn car what do you want us to say <laughs> like I like that Sandy basically scrapes the bottom of the barrel and he's like, uh, well, I, I guess B.B. Roth came back one time and said, don't ever call me about this again. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, no, man, that's everything. Mm -hmm. And then he offers to take him out to dinner if they can talk about literally anything else. Mm -hmm. And Ned decides, no, I, I have a lot to think about. I'm going to go home, call it a night. And so now everybody has called it a night and it's, uh, it's a good night. Sandy goes to get a burger and look at the waitresses. From booth. Cynthia, Cynthia Garris? Garris? I know. I was like, wow, he's really objectifying Cynthia. <laughs> uh, from talking to Mick Garris? Uh, I, yeah. We know that that's... I know. No, it wasn't a negative thing. I was just, I was so <laughs> amused. I was like, he, he made that character her that's funny <laughs> yeah the, the waitress is i don't know she has like this heart pendant mm -hmm. for she like undoes a button on her uniform <laughs> for waiting on him probably gives her extra tips big tips yeah um <laughs> while he's sitting here he's ordered food and he's playing with the jukebox he wonders if ned realizes that the buick eight killed his father just as much as huddy eddie and shirley had killed the creature in the shed no i thought the same no. thing no that is stupid. Sam, do you have a, an opinion on this that's contrary? 
I it, it's interesting because we don't we don't really get anything more about that it's mentioned again but we don't get any support of it in the story <gasps> there's I no got it. reasoning oh, got it? oh my god i solved it okay uh we find out like towards the very very end how many times kurt rejected promotions or things that would take him outside oh, of troop I got d you. so circumstances so if if he'd yeah. taken any of those and left troop d uh, he would not have been able. Duh. Oh that's such a that's such a goddamn <laughs> stretch i i don't I don't think so. It's but it's funny that it stands out this way. But after, like now that I know everything there's to know, it does make sense. Yes, in because it's hard because we get this thing from Kurt that is contrary to everything else that mm -hmm. we've been given about his character. It for me was a moment like the first moment of possibly like understanding and empathy I had for Kurt. Like, oh, maybe he's not just this one dimensional person who's obsessed with the Buick, there's more to him. And I had wished, we can talk about it more later, but I had wished that we had had more of that from Kurt, had known that about him yeah. earlier in the book. Yeah. I kind of like that we didn't get it till I, the end. See, I, I don't know. I think it would have made like, it interesting to grapple with him with that urge, knowing why he's knowing what his motivation actually is, not just hard headedness. I like the idea, though, that we get to have this just very clear picture we get of him and then have it really put on its head because mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting no. most of what we got from that. I wasn't expecting the end that we got. <laughs> I wasn't expecting what's next. Look, yeah. we should let's get what's next. Sandy realizes he's been duped. Mm -hmm. He's sitting here trying to figure out what is not sitting right with me. And he realizes there was a time that Ned was gonna ask a question, but didn't. And it's just not sitting well with him. And he realizes that the question on his mind was, did you ever talk about destroying it? Real fucking good question. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I like Kurt's answer, <laughs> which, which we'll get to. <laughs> and I wonder if that conversation happened at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they talk about the picnic being where a lot of that happened. So Sandy throws his light on the top of his car and he heads back and Ned's car is there and he doesn't see Ned anywhere. And he guesses where Ned is. Mm. He's yeah. sitting in the front seat. Yeah, he's not just in the shed. He's not standing outside looking in the shed. He's not inside looking at the car. He's sitting inside of the car. Holding? Holding a uh, his father's gun mm -hmm. and a can, a gasoline can, yeah. which has some in it, but also he has doused the car mm -hmm. with, and a very dazed look on his face. These were stakes I was not expecting to face off with. It's I thought this part was so fucking cool. It comes out of nowhere. It does not fit the tone of the rest of the book. It is like it, it got me. I'll, I'll admit that when he finally has this like revelation, like, oh, he's he's already back at the mm -hmm. station. I was like, oh, shit, really? That's crazy because we've been given nothing to believe that this is where the book is going. Uh, Although I don't know, I guess because I was so focused on the pull of it and the influence, I that part didn't surprise me. I feel similarly about what I thought was going to happen in this scene and how that ended. Once I heard Ned's plan, it made sense. Not the plan. The plan's terrible. <laughs> but the idea that that plan just took root in his head and couldn't shake it, I, I feel it. Well, the Buick put that plan in his head so it could take Did it. it. Yes. I, yeah, it says that. Uh, yeah, I've, I don't know if, this, the, if car it put started the specifics. Talking, <laughs> I'm fucking checked out. 
I I honestly did. I the, mm-hmm. this whole ending, I was like, fine. It just seems like the ending to a different book. And that did. Yeah, yeah, Ned. It did because Ned doesn't remember mm-hmm. doing that, like getting in the car and everything. He wasn't in control of himself. He re- well, he remembers the plan because it's something he was already thinking because about the doing. Buick put it in he, his head because it wanted him to get inside. See, I think he decided he wanted to destroy it, and he because he says I was going to go home and I was going to think about mm-hmm. it, and the the Buick didn't let him take time to think about it. Mm-hmm. He ha- had him and mm-hmm. called yeah. him back. And this is, we're all kind of talking around this, but this is the next point. Sandy thinks about the last conversation he had with Kurt on the day he died, where Kurt asks, does it think? And the evidence being that it saved its biggest horror for their least protected time. Mm-hmm. Which which I think is I, bullshit. Yeah, I it's think, so I think it's just timing. Well, I, I thought it said I thought they'd made a point to say that every time something crazy came out of it that they had to deal with, it was not during a time where there were like civilians around or some event where they would have to keep it under wraps. So what? It's such a, an <laughs> insane idea that like just it, it's all coincidence. And given that the point uh, that they're of this whole story of this whole book is we can't know Mm -hmm. we can't know anything about this car it is so alien we cannot make any assumptions about it and then the whole book all they fucking do is make assumptions (laughs) about it and they're like oh yeah maybe it thinks because why do you think that over anything else because what else is there to do but speculate It's so, <laughs> it drives me crazy. It's, okay, we'll get to it. Mary. It's an exercise in futility, for it, sure. It is. Yeah. And well, it, that's it, the point of the book. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's the same mm-hmm. with the very, very end of the book is the same thing. They make this random assumption, and they're like, yep, we're right. And it's like, why? What, <laughs> what evidence have you gained throughout all of this that makes you think you understand a single fucking thing mm-hmm. about what's going on? It's crazy. We do also, though, get proof that the Buick can open doors because Sandy <laughs> runs in to get uh, stuff from the shed, the hutch attached to the shed, and it slams the door shut on him. And sure. it locks its own doors. And it locks its own doors. And it talks to him. <laughs> uh, so Sandy goes into, uh, you know, hero mode. He goes to the shed to grab the rope and something that Kurt put there after the yellow monster incident. And he goes to, like, tie himself off. And when he turns around, Arky's there. Because Arky felt that same instinct that mm-hmm. he should come back. And Arky tries to warn him that the static is already coming in. It's going to be any moment now. And Sandy tosses the rope to him after he ties it on himself. And he's like, figure it out, bud. I'm going in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he comes in and uh, he can feel the pull instead of the, the breathing. push. Yeah, yeah. He can feel that breathing. And he sees Ned's robotic stare and he's standing in a puddle of gasoline yeah which i i just thought it it is a tense moment like i like sandy's reactions and how quickly and his arguments to ned when he starts talking to him Mm -hmm. i think we're cool i mean appealing to his mom and his sisters it's the the right Mm -hmm. thing to do to try to get him back and confronting him with the fact that the Buick tricked you. You are not destroying mm-hmm. it. It's letting you think you have any control or knowledge of anything. And it's it's laughing at you. Your dad would be rolling over in his That's, grave. That fucked me up. <laughs> yeah. That was great that it's laughing at mm-hmm. you right now because it couldn't get your it couldn't get your dad 
but it's gonna get you mm. and that's what it wants that's, that's fucking great i uh, hate it <laughs> i hate anything that attributes any human characteristics to this car well he's just saying that to get ned to get through to ned yeah uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> okay, I guess. I, like, I'm just, uh, I'm, the ending of this book frustrates me so right, bad. You've, you've been poking a lot of holes in plans here. Try to poke a hole in this one. <laughs> Ned shares his plan, and it is that he is, he's going to blow it up when it takes him, because then he'll blow it up on both sides. This reminds it's, me of Lisey's story, this it's, part. It, it's, well, because he wants to take the gun with him, like. It's like yeah. any fucking movie where the <laughs> hero gets swallowed by the monster and then blows up from the inside. Mm-hmm. That any time that happens in a movie, I'm like, that's such a dumb plan. Right? It's, like, a, it's a kid thing to think. It yes. is absolutely. Yeah, he's it's a kid. A cartoon plan. Yeah. Sandy. Although it happens in Hellboy, and that movie rules. <laughs> anyway, Sandy, smooth as hell pushes uh further and he reaches in and he knocks the can of gas out of his hand he when the punches purple light. it out of his yeah. hand i love that he sees the purple light start to like well in the bottom mm. of the uh the bottom of the front seats it's not just that he punches it out it's that he punches the can out of his lap and into forever mm-hmm. because it, <laughs> he just knocks into the purple light and it's just gone <laughs> and then it it <laughs> It opens up, and from here they they battle the breathing. Is this where he maces Ned? Like, he punches the thing out, and he's like, hey, man, look at me, and maces him right in the eye. Because he's still got the gun, so. And the mace was the thing he grabbed. So, yeah, so now (laughs) Sandy has Ned, and they, the fact that this pole, that they can feel it, but there is no sound, and there's no wind. And they they think there should be a sound or something. I love, I do love, because we've gotten that a lot with the things a Buick does. And my, I can't wrap my brain around that because in my brain, when I'm picturing it, I'm still adding like the sound. Mm. Especially since like in one of the light uh, storm scenes where everyone's yelling yes. because they think it's loud, <laughs> but it's not. Yeah. Sandy, he gets a glimpse down mm. into this thing. Which Ned doesn't see because he's maced. Yeah. And he feels like there's there's no way that they're going to make it out. The pull is too strong. And then Stephanie Colucci runs out and she's grabs the, the rope and joins Arky. They finally reach the door frame and then Eddie's there and Eddie jumps in and they all start pulling out and they pull free. And as soon as they pull free of the door, it slams shut. And they are left outside in <laughs> just like the silence of outside after all that for just a second. Once they're outside, he's that's when Ned admits, I, I meant to do this, but I didn't mean to do it tonight. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it and then suddenly I was here. Yeah, he doesn't even remember mm-hmm. driving back, which is crazy. <laughs> all of this experience has reminded Sandy of one last story for Ned. Uh, one that this experience I'm has sorry. shaken loose. The apparently. most important one to tell Seriously. this kid. That, uh, go on. <laughs> uh, and then this is where we get a chapter from Kurt's perspective. I'm just going to say the Buick wouldn't let him tell the story. Wouldn't let him remember that. Because it's so fucking stupid it's, that he didn't tell him. It's so strange. We find out, the first thing we find out from Kurt is that he's thinking about how much he wants to watch his children grow up. And he wonders if the he goes back to the Buick and he's wondering if it uh, thinks if it's planning all of these things. And we go back to that kind of that conversation from the last day. And that's when Kurt 
said something that I'd never even considered, but I am all the way in on that it wanted to provoke its own destruction because in doing so would destroy even more. Mm-hmm. And the basically like a, a a straw breathing through a straw in a pond and it can only get so much. But if you blow it up and then it has more access and that is pretty great and really does dial into depending on how long Kurt has had that thought really dials in his pro- like wanting to protect anything from it, happening. It puts his behavior in a different light. It's uh, nonsense. Yeah. It, it once again goes against the entire idea of your your spit. You might as well just say, I think we uh, should destroy it because if we destroy it, then it'll erase itself from time and none of this will have ever <laughs> happened. Why do you think that? Oh no. What? It, it's it's so frustrating to me. <laughs> this is where we find out that you know he passed at promotions. He talked about his kids. He was very proud. He he said that he was very proud of Ned and that he was a lucky man. And when they wrap up, that's when Sandy leaves Ned with the I think the piece of comfort he was wanting to leave the whole time, which was that your dad never gave up. And that was the thing. He made decisions based on what he thought was the right thing to do. And he made the sacrifices that came with that. Mm-hmm. Whether he was wrong or right, there's no way to know. But he felt that he it was his duty to watch, to watch over this thing until this thing was no longer a threat. He's trying to give the action, his, Kurt's actions honor instead of just being like thick headedness. So I think, Ben, did it change your opinion of Kurt at all? Because it obviously affected mine and CM's. Did it, this uh, flashback scene change If you weren't so angry about how it played out. <laughs> I am going to be completely honest with you guys. Yeah. yeah. I finished listening to the audiobook the first night that I had this fucking head cold. And I don't remember any of it. I absolutely like had to have been half asleep. And so last night, knowing that we had to push off this recording where we're recording like a week later than we normally do. I re-listened to the last hour and a half Mm -hmm. of, of the book from about the time that they finished the story until mm-hmm. the end. And I listened to that last night. I barely remember <laughs> any of this. I checked. I I could not I just couldn't keep get you. my brain yeah. to like latch on to anything. I, I don't care about these characters. <laughs> I don't give a shit about any of this. Uh, okay, Ben, not head cold brain. I can tell you, like, because I, I think you and I kind of agreed on how strongly we felt mm-hmm. about Kurt. I think Josh, you were a little more m- like middle of the road, yeah. like you could understand, but you were willing to see what his character was going to do. It changed how I felt about him. It did shed a different light on his behavior and made me more sympathetic or empathetic mm-hmm. to why he did the things he did. And that's why I was saying I wish I'd had that initially because I spent a lot of the book for frustrated with him. So my frustration led me to not be invested as invested in him and his reasons and the story in general, because I personally 
have to connect to a character. Like even if they're, mm. when they don't have to be a good character. Like I connected to George Stark and Annie Wilkes. I think we all know that. Yeah. <laughs> but there has to be something that pulls me in for them. Mm. And the thing that pulled me in for Kurt was like at the very, very end. And that's not wrong or right. It's not should have been this way or that way. It's just how I interpreted it. Josh, you liked that you got that at the very end. I think that's cool too. I, I do think if you weren't sick, you might have been like, huh, this is interesting to get this piece of information. I don't know how you would have felt about it, but it did change how I saw Kurt, who who just irritated the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs) So from here, everybody calls it a night again, promising (laughs) to stay home this time. And the book somehow refuses to end. (laughs) Yeah, can I just say real quick, I thought that this was going to be the end. I th- Well, and I thought that it was going to end with Ned lighting himself on fire in an attempt to destroy the car and himself. And it, was, it would have been a very king ending, but mm-hmm. yeah, so I was surprised. And then he did it again to me. And I don't know how I feel about this, but go on, Josh. <laughs> uh, everybody is gone and Sandy is reflecting. This is the thought, the... This is the part I thought you guys might be into with all the unanswered questions. The Sandy, we finally get some answers. Yes, we get the answers. <laughs> Sandy is thinking about what he saw when he looked down the purple periscope. And he describes the yellow grass with brown tips, the green backed beetles, the lilies that they saw in the trunk. The sky was a terrible purple full of clouds and lightning. He could sense a sea nearby and he could see the remains of Brian Lippy's swastika necklace and a boot. He also saw an old PSP Stetson that had been staked to the ground and his sidearm was mm-hmm. sitting there. I mean, we knew at this point that everybody got sucked in, but it's it's cool. The The fact that they staked the hat, mm-hmm. whatever those creatures are, is this like, it's basically the same thing as Shed B. Like they <sighs> marked mm-hmm. where this happens. Yeah. Which shows that the other side of this probably just as confused, mm-hmm. just as unknowing. What they thought. Yeah. Of course we see the the other side because I I think this is I didn't think we were going to see the other side because the whole I point is we I never know anything. Exa- I, that, is I, that what bothers I, you? I hate this. I, I, I think this is <laughs> a cop. Out. I don't know. It's a cop out. That's okay. exactly what it is, <laughs> is I don't know if it was Stephen King or if it was his editors being like, what do you mean? We never being see the like, other hey, side. Hey, you remember Colorado kid and how people reacted yeah, to that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's a, yeah, a cop out. It, that that's why I was surprised we get all of this after Ned doesn't die. Yeah, it's. Hmm. I did enjoy seeing it though because it. I I like that other world. Like and that's the yeah. other side of it is yeah. it's also very cool. Yeah. Is the problem is uh, I like I felt like it was just enough. Like it didn't go into like if it had been like uh, another paragraph of a bunch of more things, then I probably would have gotten exhausted of it. But the fact that it was so brief, yeah, I understand your disappointment because I thought yeah. of, I thought a lot about this ending. Which... I wish it would have been weirder. Honestly, <laughs> if he would have like looked into it and been like, I saw the other side, and I saw you know those like that lilies you that I recognized the lilies because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd seen one before, but then in the distance there was some thing that I can't even yeah. write down here because it was so. It's it's interesting alien. that it it checks off, which is not always a king thing to do. I feel like it checks off each item. 
to answer each question for us, which was, I, I was a little bit hung up on that, especially like you saw enough detail to see a necklace. Yeah. Like it, it was just, it's like, it's okay to leave us with some, Questions. some more yeah. mystery. Well, he saw a glint of what he assumed was the necklace mm-hmm. rather than seeing the Man, you're CMing this so I really hard. am. I really am. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, get to the end, the real end, the third ending of this book. <laughs> Four years later and one hell of a misdirect. We find out that uh, Eddie Jackaboy uh, had bought the Bel Air from Ned and he drove straight on into a bridge. And uh, and Eddie died, but they uh, but they don't tell you it's Eddie for a good long while. You just keep hearing about the Bel Air. You think it's you yeah, think so it's you Ned. think it's Ned. Which so I was like, man, it's it's interesting that he kept like he didn't kill him because I thought he was going to because mm-hmm. you know his king will break our hearts. Right. And then I was like, wow, I kind of it's like, damn man, like you don't kill him, but then you kill him four years later in this <laughs> senseless accident. Yeah, is that even more? brutal and then it wasn't that either and i don't know if there's something wrong with me that like do i desire punishment i just (laughs) i was sort of disappointed like oh no it's it was just it was actually the fucking asshole that (laughs) i like yeah i liked the misdirect because i had the same i went on the same roller coaster uh we find out that ned has joined the psp he decided college wasn't for him ned asks sandy to come with him to shed b though on this day and uh, it's been two years since the temperature dropped any more than five degrees lower than the outside and 16 months since the last light quake, which was only eight or nine small flickers. They can feel it winding down. Ned is so hyped because something is different and he makes Sandy look for himself and Sandy stares at it and sees nothing for so long until finally he sees there is a crack in the windshield that's been there for maybe two days. Mm-hmm. And we which, know it heals itself. Yep. Yeah. yeah, which definitely means that the thing is dying and not that it's just doing random shit like it's always done. Like, <laughs> it's been more than 20 years and it's never done that. That's Who something. Cares? It's something different. <laughs> it is an unknowable thing. It, it's windshield crack today. Maybe tomorrow it grows a foot. Who cares? <laughs> it could be. do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but Ned decides to leave us on a happy note, thinking that it's like standing next to a thawing frozen lake. You can like feel it cracking. Like you can hear it, even though you can't see it. And he just mm-hmm. thinks that sooner or later. It's just going to collapse into a pile and rust away like everything else that came through. And I personally hope that is what happens. Mm-hmm. I like that idea for the ending. <laughs> I, I'm so excited to read this. Yeah, let's do it. Never. I'm sorry. I'm gonna go first. Go, yeah, go, go for it. Never in the history of our podcast have I more wished that I could have time to think about the ending after our conversation to see how I feel about it. Because usually it's like, well, I've I always finish it a few days early, so I have time to like reflect on how I feel about it, and I kind of know what I want to say and how I think. And you guys might kind of change that, but overall, it's what I think. Mm. <sighs> This is so hard. It's so it, it's a bit of a difficult book to get in and stay in. There's just enough interesting things. And I think we talked about this in episode two that kind of like hook you and you're like, OK, now I'm in. And then it takes that hook and it just duplicates it over and over and over again. And then you get these just wild Mr. X at the end. And I don't I don't know if I like where it went or not. 
you know what I'm going to say? Like, that's, that's not the book's <laughs> fault. That's just my, you know, I don't know if that way of telling the story and ending it was for me. And I don't know if I'll feel differently about it later. Uh, I, I was entertained. It's, I enjoy that we had such a discussion about so many components of this and that I'm still left wondering how I feel about it. And for that, I'm just going to, I'm going to give it my five out of five blue chambray shirts. I cannot believe we found an hour and a half of shit to talk about <laughs> for this book. I came in today being like, I don't fucking care. I do not care about this book. I am so done thinking about it. My brain could not latch onto this book. It has a few... Mm-hmm. Oh, if you had made this a short story yeah. about a car that spits out monstrosities i probably would have liked that like i said instead of reading this book go read mile marker 81 or whatever mile 81, mile yeah. 81 uh in whatever book that's bizarre in. bad dreams thank you i read it after you mentioned it and holy it's shit, so it's good. good read that instead it's all the car terror that uh you need Fair. without all of the sitting around and talking about the same thing happening over and over again mm-hmm. for 300 pages I didn't hate it, (laughs) despite how I sound, (laughs) but I, this is for completionists only, uh, two out of five blue shirts. Fair Fair enough. Yeah. I, I really like this style, I guess. I liked how confusing it was. I liked the mystery of it. I loved the creatures. Uh, so many, so many cool things. My major problem with it is that I will not be able to tell you a single thing about any character in a week. So the characters all feel really stale to me. It was definitely just a fun read, though. And I don't... I I feel like I'll read this again. I don't know that I'll go back to it. It won't be like the first of my rereads. So I think I'm actually going to give it a four out of five blue chambray shirts. Insane. And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we will be covering The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, another Patreon selection from Kaya Benedict. And we will be reading Through the Fifth Inning. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, when it comes to our human lives, there's a noose at the end of every chain. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to From a Buick 8 Part 3. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to join us for Dairy Fight Night on January 20th at 8pm Central. This is a live stream that we are bringing to you for free, and we are very excited to spend the evening with you. You can find more details and links to join us on our Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio. And as always, don't forget to follow us. You can also find us on Twitter at Dairy Public and email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. I saved a bit for you that didn't make the episode, but before we get to that, we haven't done a haiku for a while, and I think we need one for the Buick. You soiled yourself and turned sofa fish to mush. Now you're cracked and done. We were talking about the stick a little bit because CM loves sticks. I love sticks. <laughs> God damn it. Sorry. Sorry, uh, just as I take a big swig of coffee. <laughs>
<laughs> God damn it. CM, I'm getting over a cold still. Uh, if my nasal passages had been open and available, I would have just blasted coffee into this mask I'm wearing. Oh, God. Oh, oh my goodness. <clears throat> It was so sincere. It really that, was. Got me. It really was. Uh, all right. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.